0: Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now, here is your
1: host, Jennifer Cohen. Today on Habits and Hustle, this is the first uh, podcast where we're not face to face. We are <gasps> doing it via <gasps> Squadcast. I did which, not know uh, that.
0: Yeah. Am I just totally interrupting your intro here? Sorry, I'll be quiet. No, it's okay.
1: No, 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 you don't have to be quiet. Actually, I I like I I like the voice from the peanut gallery over there. (laughs) Um, I was oh, I was just going to say that we have the OG of creating habits on the podcast, BJ Fogg. His new book is called Tiny Habits. Um, I loved your TED Talk. You've done a couple of TED Talks though, right? Yeah. Um, and I've. I've watched both, but I I have to say, I really, really enjoyed the first one. Thank you. Uh, And your new book, Tiny Habits. The thing is, this is what's going to be very difficult about this podcast. You have so many amazing um, tips, tricks, processes, and how to uh, gain a good new habit, how to lose a bad habit, um, and everything in between. I don't know if we're going to even have enough time to cover everything. I I, I feel like- We'll do do a
0: series. We'll do a series we should. A 52 because... part series once a week <laughs> for the coming year.
1: I, Cause I'm telling you, like, there's like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going through your book. I'm like, okay, this, this one piece can be literally an entire podcast. And so listen, well, I guess we'll just kind of see where we, how far we can get and kind of take okay. it from there. But thanks for being on habits and hustle. Thank you for inviting me. Well, this is going to be, I mean, how By the way, do you live in Hawaii or are you kind of part just time. there?
0: Yeah, part time in Maui. And so you didn't escape what's going on here, right now. And we you... were already here and just made a decision to stay here. Wow.
1: So in a time like this, um, when everyone's basically on lockdown, especially yeah. in California, uh, New York, um, building habits, new habits is is going to is extra tricky and ex- is, has a whole other layer, layer of difficulty with chaos and kids yeah. and everything in between. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. I guess, the first pl- I guess the first place to begin is how do you, in a new, in a new normal, which is going to be, I don't know, months, it could be months that we're all in our homes, how do we kind of shift and create uh, a new set of habits that you know it's, it's kind of foreign to all of us.
0: Yeah. Well, with the environment around us changing, all of us are creating new habits. It's probably I'm quite sure in the history of the world, we have more human beings changing their habits right now than ever before. And it may never happen like this again, I hope.
2: And right, so right. the
0: environment, so so much of our behavior and our habits are driven by our environment or our context. And right now that's changed. There's an environment of fear, an environment of lockdown. Like today in Maui, in Hawaii, was the day that everybody stays home. And so people aren't doing their normal things. They aren't in their normal work environments. And Mm -hmm. so whether people design for it or not, whether they want it or not, your habits are changing. And there'll be some habits that stay the same and some that change and maybe a lot that change. My own habits haven't changed that much because what I do is I do mostly remote work. Um, But there'll be some shifts I need to do. Um, And some of them might be bigger than others, but most people are probably making really big shifts right now. And I think the key is to maintain the good habits you have. And then for the habits that you have to shift around, like how you work out or how you eat or how you work, then design for the best habits that you can and be proactive about that. And that's really what my work in Tiny Habits is about. Here's how you design habits into your life. And you do that deliberately. And it's not as hard as most people believe. And you just do the best you can, especially in this environment, um, because there are so many distractions
1: oh god there's i mean it's very uh, for people who are i know you hate the word motivate but not hate the word but motivation isn't really enough to change a behavior or to create a better behavior right and uh i want to talk about that actually a little bit i okay. mean what how in in what are the ways people that the the, the the real what ways how people shift a behavior because at the end of the day To build a habit, it's actually about changing a behavior, right? Yes,
0: yeah. So as as I've mapped it out, habit is one type of behavior. There are other types of behaviors, like doing things one time or doing things for a limited period of time or doing something more intensely, whereas habit is um, a behavior you do quite automatically. And motivation matters. Yes, it matters. I, though understand through my research and through coaching over 40,000 people in habits, that motivation is not the key to creating habits. Yes, you have to be motivated to have a particular habit. So focus on habits you want, not those that you feel like you should have. Um, But instead of focusing on motivation, which shifts up and down, you really focus on ability, making it really easy. And then the third component of behavior is the prompt. What's gonna remind you to do that behavior? So from the outset, you pick habits you want. So motivation's built in. Like if you uh, want to surf, well, that's great, awesome. Then make it really easy to do and make sure there's a prompt. That's kind of what I've done. That's why I live in Maui part-time. Right. I do not have to motivate myself to go surfing. I have to, in fact, do the opposite. On days where uh, I'm really busy or maybe the weather is really terrible, I have to stop myself from going out I still go out and look at least. So if you, I know it sounds crazy, but there's, I'm not the only one in this situation. So if it's a habit that you want, then it's really about making it easy to do and finding a prompt. And that in essence is tiny habits right there.
1: But <clears throat> let's just let's just stay on the motivation because okay. people ask me all the time. Just on the, and I also saw that you worked with Weight Watchers for okay. with Dave Kirkoff, yeah. which is one of yeah. I was with Weight Watchers for so many years, and so that's yeah. I, I was reading your book, and I'm like, oh my god, I know it, I know that big guy. Yeah,
0: I'm a big fan yeah. of that program. Yeah,
1: yeah, me too, actually. And I'm not just I, I haven't just I'm not just saying that because I was involved with him for many years, but it was because it actually does work. I mean, yeah. there's a reason why. Yeah. It, it, I mean. It, it, there there is success to it but um anyway the i get asked a lot about motivation like well i'm just not motivated to work out i'm just not motivated how do i get motivated and people always think that it's motivation and you really talk a, a lot about the different types of motivation you can have a surge in motivation and then you have a drop off um you, can you let's talk about the different kinds of motivation and Well,
0: you're the expert. You tell us. You know, let's just just categorize it this way. There are aspirations that we have, like I want to be healthier, I want to lose weight, and there's motivation for that abstract thing, that aspiration. Mm -hmm. And then there are specific behaviors. Oh, I want to surf or I want to eat three carrots every day. And there's motivation for that specific behavior. So motivation applies in both contexts. So yes, you need to be motivated for that aspiration. I want to be more fit or I want to be more productive. But then you need to find the behavior, the specific new habit that will take you there. And you need to find a new habit that you're motivated to do. So in terms of fitness, I think all of us are motivated to have more energy and be more fit. And so that's there. Then the challenge is to find the exercise or the new habit that will get you that, that you also want to do. So if you came to me and said, okay, BJ, we're going to have you walk on a treadmill in a gym for an hour a day. That's how you're going to be fit. It's like, no, I'm not on board. Like I might be able to get myself to do that for a limited time, but no, I'm not on board with that. But then you say, oh, go surfing. I'm totally on board, which is harder than walking on a treadmill. So motivation applies to the aspirations or outcome that we want, but it's really important to, also connect it with the new habit that you're doing and find one that you want to do. So if it's not walking on the treadmill, look for exercise or fitness habits that you do want. And don't just assume because you've watched a TED Talk or you saw some TV show or a friend told you that something is great, that that's right for you. So part of the method that I outline in Tiny Habits is a way to figure out which specific new habit is a good match for you and that includes Something that you're already motivated to do, that you want to do, and that you like doing.
1: Well, you talk about that, I believe, in like, you know, the steps to change your, to design your behavior, right? Like what not to do and what to do, right? So, like, what, what, why are you laughing?
0: Well, because it's just, there's just so many people that just assume all this stuff they've heard for decades is right. And they're like, okay, I don't really want to go to the gym, but I guess I'll go do it, right? So, And that's part of what my work and my book's about is to say, hey people, so much of what you've heard about habits is wrong. So stop believing it and there's a much better way. And I don't laugh out of derision. It's just, it's so commonplace. And once people see it, it, they're like, of course. Of course, if I don't want to walk on the treadmill, that's not going to become a habit. So there's kind of this nice moment of insight people can get where it's like, oh, help myself do what I already want to do. Oh, there uh, it is. Can it, it really be that easy? Yes.
1: It's so. It's so true. Like people always say, like, "What's the best best thing I should do to lose weight?" And the best thing is the thing that you're actually going to do. Like, yeah. there's like, "Well, do, do I have to run?" Well, no. You don't have to run if you're not. If you don't like running, you're not going to run. Yeah. So don't, yeah. don't pick that activity. Pick something different. But I know, like, what I you're very. It's very what you talk about is so contrary to what everyone always hears because you don't like in your whole book and what you talk about, you've never used the word like goal, like here's your goal. It's about like, you never like the word goal or rewards, right? Like everyone always talks about, well, if you want it, do this and you'll get this or have this goal. And you're like people, that's not at all how it works. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, you, you don't have to set goals. There are times when those are helpful. Uh, you don't have to be Set up an accountability partner. There's times when that could work. Um, the, the, the really the key, the two key takeaways, and I call them the maxims, and it, everything falls under these two statements. One is help yourself do what you already want to do. That's maxim number one. And maxim number two is help yourself feel successful. So if goals setting helps you feel successful, do it. But there are so many people where it doesn't and it scares them and they know if they set a goal, well, they won't even do it because they've done it before and it helps them feel unsuccessful. If accountability partner helps you feel successful, do it. But if it doesn't, don't do it. So there's a lot of techniques and approaches that it's hard to say, yeah, that's good or bad. The overriding principles are those two. Help yourself do what you already want to do and help yourself feel successful. So anything you look at, whether it's a specific technique like accountability partners or an overall program like Weight Watchers or Peloton or what have you, ask yourself, is it doing those two things for me? And if yes, good, then dive in. If no, then avoid it because it's not gonna work in the long long term.
1: So in a a situation we're in right now, right, where, a big motivation would be, you know, we're stuck. We've got to like figure yeah. out what, like we're stuck in a home and we have lots of work and we have screaming kids now, not at school. Isn't that a big enough motivation to to um, start, a, 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 I guess, a, a different behavior yeah. or to eliminate a bad one?
0: We're in a very unusual time. Uh, usually motivation will, if it surges, it will go down fairly quickly. And I've called that, named that with the help of Dr. David Sobel. Thank you, David. Uh, We call that the motivation wave. It goes up and then it will come back down. We're in a period that's more like a tsunami. It goes up and it doesn't come down quickly. It will come down, but it's not doing it quickly. So we have a period of weeks and certainly months, hopefully not years, months of where we're going to be in an unusually high state of motivation for certain things. Uh, to protect ourselves from virus transmission, first and foremost. And so in, when motivation is high, we're able to get ourselves to do difficult things. When it drops, we can't do those difficult things. So we're, and we've seen this globally, where the people, we're all doing these really hard new behaviors and we're keeping them up because the motivation is so high right now. This is a really unusual period. It's a tsunami, it's a motivation tsunami, rather than Mm -hmm. a motivation wave that goes up and down.
1: So how did you become such a, like, you're a behavioral scientist, but mm. as, as a lot of your, um, I guess, uh, your, your research, is it based on like practical experience? You try these out yeah. on people and you kind of yes. trial and error on yourself it's and a, a bunch of friends or?
0: Well, yes, <laughs> 40,000 or 50,000
1: friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so right, it, right.
0: It is a combo of, it's a it's a combo of academic work and doing research and looking at the research and, hands-on experience in coaching. I stopped counting at 40,000 people. So I saved right, 50, 000,
1: I think that's but it's more yeah. like
0: 50,000. Personally coaching, 40,000 plus uh, in habit change. And I did that through email. So it wasn't like they showed up at my home or whatever, but it was individual emails, year for starting back in 2011, week after week after week after week, people, hundreds of people. And I got really fast at it. Uh, and I automated parts of it, but I would look at everybody's email, that would, I mean, it was a daily thing where I would spend time of every day, go for years, and after a while, you see the patterns of what works and what doesn't, in a way that an academic study cannot teach you, Uh, because it's people in the real world creating real habits, and you're just, you eventually see patterns, and the patterns are overwhelmingly clear, And that really helped me then look back at the academic work and go, oh, yeah, this could have worked in a laboratory setting, but this doesn't work in the real world, and so on. And even helped focus my own research. So I was studying, not the tradition, right? If I had just picked up on the academic tradition, I'd be studying things that may not matter very much, but instead looking at things that actually matter. And that's where the maxims came from. It was a combination of, what do I know as a behavior scientist and then what do I know as somebody who's hands-on for, you know, week after week for years? And it really boils down to those two maxims. And I at first, even though I had a sense those were right, I almost didn't say them even to myself. I thought, no, it can't be that simple. It can't boil down to those two things. Then after a while, I just owned up to said, yeah, it really boils down to those two things, helping yourself do what you already want to do. And help yourself feel successful and any product or program should do the same thing if you want it to work in the long term now for temporary things there's lots of ways we can do, get ourselves to do things temporarily but for lasting change those things really matter.
1: So what did you learn what did you find out in all your study in all your research and practical like what were the things that on like on paper looked like they would work but didn't work at all like in practical experience what are the things that people took to the most? The easiest oh, ways. You
0: would think that making a big public commitment, announcing on Facebook, from now on I'm going to work out an hour a day, or I'm going to lose 15 pounds in the next 90 days, and you hold me to it, everybody, and if I don't do it, da, da, da. So you would think that would work. It doesn't yeah. work very well at all. It works to set you up to be really nervous and anxious and to maybe humiliate you in front of your friends. <laughs> so it's not you know, finding a way to put yourself on the hot seat in front of others works temporarily, but it doesn't work effectively for lasting change. So that's one thing that we're often, you often see, and you're often shown, Mm -hmm. and you think, oh, if I just, you know, in this moment, I'm so upset. One of my students did this, and when he posted it, I was like, oh, no. He had a drinking problem. This was after he left Stanford, but we were friends on Facebook, and he announced hey, everybody, I now commit to all of you, I'll never drink again. I was like, oh, I really, really, really hope that's true. But this is not a method that reliably works, <laughs> yeah. just making a proclamation right. on Facebook. Now, what it might have done is bring him support and empathy right. and guidance and help from others. So that might be good. But just the just putting yourself in a difficult situation socially to change your behavior in the long term I just don't see evidence that works reliably.
1: What happened to the guy? Uh,
0: I don't know. Actually, I mean, I didn't follow up and say how are you doing. <laughs> da, 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 da. I hope he's okay. Um, I mean, is he
1: sober now? You have no idea. Maybe I, it well, didn't work.
0: Don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I've seen things since that I'm pretty sure it didn't work. But okay. um, it's it's things like that that people are led to believe, um, or they even like to think. Okay, if I just read all the academic studies on behavior change, I'll be able to change my behavior. No. If I just understand neuroscience, if I read up on what's going on chemically in the brain, then I'll be able to change my habits. No, if that were true, neuroscientists would be the fittest, most prosperous, most grounded people. They're not. So it's (laughs) the other thing and that adds up to information alone does not change behavior reliably. So it's not about a lack of information or even a lack of having enough motivation. It's about having a easy to do approach that you can do even on your worst days, even on the days that you are stressed out, you can still do the habit, you can still make progress, you can still feel successful. And a way of designing those habits and that's, you know, that's what Tiny Habits is all about. It's like, here's a system. Here's how you design for any habit that you want. And it's, yes, you have to design the habit. You know, there's some pieces to it. You say, okay, let's make it really tiny. Let's find where it fits in my day. Let me wire it in by celebration. Um, and that's not hard to do, but people, uh, I don't want to say there's a learning curve. There's a very gentle learning slope. Like, what's the difference between doing 10 pushups in two, there's a huge difference. What's the difference between flossing all your teeth in one, it's a huge difference. It's just like when e-commerce was really new, there were different places you could buy stuff. Amazon did one click, bam, they won because of one click because they made it yeah. so easy. There was a big difference between five clicks and one click. And so simplicity, there is a third maxim that I don't share in the book, there's only three, and it's simplicity changes behavior. So just understanding that the easier you make the new habit for yourself, the more likely you're going to succeed on it.
1: So yeah, you talk about simplicity, but isn't that simplicity and ease the same thing, really?
0: I mean... Yeah, to some extent, sure. sure, To some extent, yeah. Now, you... But I I break it down and I say there are five links in this ability chain. How much time does it take? How much money does it take? And, And so on. So I break it down. So I take things like motivation, and I break it down, and I take ability, and I break it down, and I take prompts and break it down. So these three really important components that comprise any behavior, then to go further within that, like what are the types of motivation? What are the factors in ability, and what are the different ways you can prompt yourself? So I love systems, okay? So it was super yeah. natural for me to map out the system of behavior, and then the subsets, and then the process, and, great flow charts that are back to the back (laughs) of the book that i kind of had to argue to get in the book because really why well because some people get intimidated i guess by flow charts so
1: yeah i gotta i I mean i do a little bit like i have to tell you when i was reading it i was like kind of going through those charts a little bit like i was kind of like you know (laughs) scrolling pretty quickly to get to the information because i'm bad with it but like you know, the thing that you okay, so willpower and discipline are also things right yeah. like people who are like really successful, like a lot of a lot of people who may be listening to this or not people who are okay, you know, what? I have a lot of discipline. So I'm not I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to work out at 4am, or I'm going to not check my email, they are very, very structured. And now throwing in this new normal for them, their whole structure is obviously, yeah. a lot, it's very thrown off. Um and they'll say, well, if I have I'll use myself like, OK, I'm going to be just dis- I, I have a lot of discipline. I'm going to be so disciplined. I'm not going to eat that chocolate cake that, you know, my kids are eating because it's constantly around my
0: house now. Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, it's like it's, it's like it's discipline and willpower don't work
0: long term. Yeah, right. At and, all. and I've said that for a, a while that, you know, it's not about focusing on discipline. I mean, yes, you can exert willpower and you can use discipline in moments. And there are times we really need to do that. But to use it day in and day out to get yourself to work out or eat in a certain way or resist certain foods, it's a very unusual person that can do that. And so, great, it's nice those are those kind of people in the world, but for the rest of us, which is the vast majority, let's not fool ourselves and think we can rely on discipline or willpower to make lasting change because we're just deluding ourselves.
1: And I'm not even, by the way, I don't mean to only talk about like weight loss or working out. It just seems like an easy thing to talk about. Just, you know, but it's also about being productive. It's about, you know, uh, having, getting, being productive. Productivity is huge. Let me
0: give an example from an hour ago in my own life. So here I am. My life hasn't been that upended because I do so much from home and so on, but still the distraction of the news and everything. So I just found myself not really settling into work. And it was like, okay, and I was wandering around the house a little bit, and I was like, this is weird for me. So what I did, I did a tiny habit. I set a timer for seven minutes. And the habit is to set the timer. And then it was like, okay, during these seven minutes, I'm just gonna prioritize what I need to do today. And so then I prioritized for seven minutes and it became really clear to me about what I was doing and what I was not doing. And then I just dove into the next project. So the habit that I've learned is one that works really well for lots of people because I've shared it a lot and people have probably figured this out on their own is by setting a timer for when you find yourself procrastinating or spinning your wheels or whatever, mm-hmm. you can trick yourself into being productive and getting started by just setting a timer. It can be three minutes, seven minutes, 12 minutes, whatever. And you just set it and you tell yourself, well, if I still just want to wander on the house after seven minutes. It's fine. I will. But guess what? <laughs> Once you start getting some momentum, it's so much easier just to keep going. And yeah. so that happened to me today. And I think it is because there's so much going on in the news and then within Tiny Habits, we've launched this global training series that is just taking off big time and I was thinking a lot about that and, and so, boom, but I was able to fall back on this habit, get myself back to work and back to being productive. Now, it wasn't a matter of discipline or willpower. Mm-hmm. It was just, maybe it was a matter of discipline for like three seconds to set the timer. It's like, okay, set the timer done
1: yeah, get yourself to do it
0: yes and so it wasn't long term it was just in one single moment take the next step and get on my way and so that that worked well
1: but did you so in, in that seven minutes you wrote a to-do list you wrote like yeah i
0: have a way of prioritizing so i just dove it back into my i thought i'd already kind of done it this morning but i realized i didn't do it very effectively so well, I how'd in, you do it um, I wonder
1: the, how do you, how do you prioritize?
0: Bam, I use stickers on cards. So I, yeah, so I have a whole, <laughs> this is, oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Here's how I do it. I want to know
1: how the master prioritizes. That's well, what I sure know. Well, I'm sure
0: there are people who are better, but for me, the way it works for me is anything that I want to do for sure, I write it down on one of these little stickers. Yellow is just for a, a normal task. And then I have cards that are devoted <laughs> to specific projects. So one is to my Stanford lab and one's to this global training series. And I have a boot camp coming up. And so I put each sticker on the card. And then if it's... Can I see
1: that again? Can you show it? Yeah, I mean,
0: they might have confidential information on it. I think it kind of... That's okay. Anyway. I won't tell anybody. There we go. So (laughs) the yellow ones are tasks. The pink ones are things I must do today. So for example, if you want to get into this, it's funny. I have a really good friend here in Maui. She's 91. And I just feel like I should call her. Call Dorothy. Dorothy. And so that's not productivity, but it's important to me. Yeah, yeah. And bam, so that's pink. That means I got to do it today or it's going to be bad. And then my Stanford colleague from the School of Medicine, we got, Mm -hmm. I was up at six this morning, planning research to help older adults with coronavirus. Her name's Nancy. So I needed to follow up with Nancy for sure on her email today because she summarized our research meeting so I already did that. So once it's done, I set the sticker aside. And so the, the the blue stickers are things I can do really, really quickly. Like my colleague, Tana, I needed to ask her about something. So blue uh-huh. means these are just gimmies. these are so easy. So uh, it's a way of arranging stickers and having projects on cards, and then I just sort. And then the color coding as well. So if there's a time in my day where I feel like just oh, a, a little momentum. It's like, let me just do the blue ones. I'm going to do all the blue ones. Bam, bam, <laughs> bam, bam, boom, And that feels good. I mean, you right. know that. And people listening, yeah. you, you succeed on a bunch of small things. You get them off your plate. Bam, bam, bam. And I try to be the hardest thing. I mean, prioritization is really hard. Uh, but I work really hard on my systems for it. And I found that a digital solution just won't work like a physical one <laughs> with these stickers. Yeah. And I try to be realistic. Like I don't have 10 pink stickers. I have three maybe in a day. And then I try to make, the key for me is make progress on the most important projects. It's not just get right. things done. It's, uh, although I do like that system, GTD, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's know what is important and then make progress on those things. And that means there's a whole bunch of things you're not gonna do. And that hurts a right. little bit. That hurts a lot sometimes. But that's just what you got to do in order to have impact in the world and to move things forward is you got to say no to stuff or just set it aside or say maybe someday I'll get to this. Like here's a colleague from Stanford. Um, I won't name the name, but that's somebody that's a nice to do reach out. He's a neurology, neurology guy. yeah. neurology at Stanford. And it's like, oh, one of my lab members said, oh, you should reach out to him. I'm like, sure. But it wasn't <laughs> urgent. Uh, and... Maybe I'll get to it someday, but at least with the stickers and writing things down, yeah. Now I don't have to have any anxiety around this being undone. I know it's not going to get lost; it's there. And well, so, if do, if, no, like, <laughs> so, if you don't do so,
1: that's no like if you don't so you do that only when you have your, your seven minute timer on. Like, no. or do you do that usually I, at night, I do, or I when would day. you normally
0: do? It? I do it in the morning, and I think this morning I just didn't do a thorough enough job of it. Uh, because I was really looking at our global program and just trying to make sure the wheels were staying on because it's growing like crazy. Um, So I do it in the morning, I prioritize, and then again after lunch. And then anytime I feel like I'm losing traction or I just have a sense I'm not on track, I just go back and say, okay, what are the top projects? And it really only takes a few minutes. But then when I dive in, I have confidence that i'm working on the most important things
2: um,
1: because because for productivity and being busy being, people think because they're doing busy work they're being productive a lot of times and that's not really the case but right. you were but you were probably saying like with your blue stickers for example that you yeah. do they're not really they're not important but they're at least you're getting something done right yes but they can be, that- they,
0: they can be blue and pink okay it's like oh, they're vital things that could be both but yes there are some blue oh. stickers that are not that important. Uh, so they're just blue.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> but by the way, who picked the colors? Are you, the, are you just I mean, think, okay. They, they come in a
0: set like this. Oh. I'll just share an example. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, I shouldn't share this. There's somebody in my life who called me and she's been having panic attacks. So I wanna follow up with her and it won't it won't take long to do. Let me uh, reset that. See, do you
1: want to answer your phone? Or, no, or is that a phone? No, I, I thought
0: I went on oh. airplane mode. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. It's, I've done everything I know to stop incoming calls and spam calls. <laughs> so, they, they, it, so the tasks can be really, really fast to do, but also very, very important. So there's somebody in my life that reached out and she's having panic attacks and it's not hard to reach back out to her and it is super important. So I put a, so it's pink but then i put a blue one over it so i know this is really fast this is vital but it's fast so just get this done and move on
1: and so i'm glad you mentioned your friend with the panic attacks just not because she's having panic attacks because that's not good but what because i'm sure you're getting called a lot if you're if you're a behavior scientist people are probably calling you off the hook right now your phone's probably you know being blown up because how can, would you tell people who are super scared or super panicky or having a really hard time how to shift their uh, mindset or shift their behavior yeah. uh, in a in a realistic way? Right. Yeah. I mean, what do you tell? What are you tell? What are you going to tell your friend when you talk to her?
0: Well, I'm actually connecting her to one of our tiny habits coaches that can help her. But it's funny oh, you would ask okay. me this question though because today. I'm talking about exactly this. So I'm doing a little pilot program. I call it Let's Talk About Habits. And it's for people over 60. And I started it last week. It's no accident. It's for people over 60. They're feeling very yeah. targeted and very afraid. But the, the, it's kind of a show. It's, it's a Zoom thing where they show up and it's light and it's goofy like yesterday I wore my bathrobe and I have show and tell and stuff like that but the purpose is very very serious but I want to make it light and fun and today it's tiny habits for those moments of acute anxiety and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now I'm going to have some suggestions for them but I like to have a very interactive teaching style. I'm gonna break them into rooms and small groups and have them share with each other and then come back to the group. So I'm gonna pull from the wisdom of these older adults. What can you do in a single moment or in a short burst of time, if you have, bam, surging anxiety? And mine are go out to nature, get out to Mm -hmm. nature, do anything related to nature, that's one. Another one is to play a musical instrument. I'm not a good musician but I know that playing a musical instrument matters and I have a range of instruments I can play from the guitar to the ukulele to the recorder, which not everybody loves, but that's my instrument of choice right now. And um, so that, um, hanging out with your dog for a while, if you have a dog or a pet, is great. And then, so those are three that are go-to ones for me, for sure. But some of us just managing it from the beginning, from the very start of the series, I was telling older adults, stop watching so much TV news. I yeah. understand that TV news, sorry, networks, TV my news mom should listen to this. is designed to bring you the most sensational stuff. And my dad used to watch it at night before I went to bed. It's like, dad, that's like the worst <laughs> yes. thing you could be doing. So exactly. yes, there are things you can do in the moment. And this is what I want to help the older adults today connect with, so they have a game plan. So they know, boom, in those moments where my anxiety just goes off the charts, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna play the guitar, or I'm gonna water my houseplants, or I'm gonna go outside for a walk, or I'm gonna play fetch with my dog. Now there's, I expect to hear things around meditation and listening to music, and there'll be other things. But the key, I think, especially now, and especially for older adults or anyone who's gonna have these moments, and I'm not talking something like panic attacks like this person in my life where I think something physiological there, there's a history mm-hmm. here. It's not just coronavirus, right. uh, but what I want people to have is a game plan. Cause we're all going to feel super anxious. Um, and we
1: isolated, I think too, yeah. right? Like a lot of, like my mom, she's by herself in Ca- I'm Canadian, but she's by herself in Canada. She's isolated. She doesn't play the ukulele or any kind of instrument She can't walk outside because it's minus 40. So she has no nature. She's not going to meditate. What do you like? What do people like that do when they don't have those options to them? And and by the way, she's one of those people that listens to the news 24 hours a day and then calls me with like, you know, basically with every like spike of you know, anxiety because she heard that this person's dying or this is happening or what do they what do those people do?
0: Three hours from now, I will be much, much smarter on this because I will have. All these suggestions okay. from all these people, but let me give some examples. Here's some things um, that I used to do. I don't do these anymore, but I did, because there was a time in my life before I figured out tiny habits. There's a time in my life when I was really stressed. Things at Stanford, I was under a lot of pressure for global conferences I was organizing. Uh, I was doing a startup that had raised a bunch of money for, including for- Which her- one? Uh, it went under, it was called the yak Pack. It's, it was a voice messaging service, sort of like Marco Polo is today. And it, it was ahead of its time and I couldn't make it work, but I'd taken money from
2: oh. investors,
0: including my family, big mistake
2: yeah.
0: and on and on. So <laughs> I would, I was just anxious. And so what I would do is I would, you know, if I was up at night, I would watch videos of puppies playing on the internet and that super calmed me. Uh, I would, in my home office, I put up, I got these life-size, I don't know where I found them, life-size pictures of people's heads of all like ages and nationalities and races, and they were all smiling. And I'm like, wallpapered the top of my office with all these smiling faces, because I know <laughs> that if you have smiles around you, it's going to like affect you. And so I, I was doing all, all these things to cope. Um, right. Then I also got, and I think this is a good one. I mean, not everybody's going to watch. Yeah, you can watch puppy videos, and you can't get the faces. But I got those coloring books. This is before they became like popular, where I would get coloring books, and I would color very slowly, and I would purposely not try to finish the the picture. You know, I would go as slow as I possibly could and just be in the moment. It was a kind of meditation. So that for me worked uh, really well. So there, hmm. the, the, so I can suggest these things, but, and this goes along very much with my book and Tiny Habits, people need to find what works for them. And so yes. they might've heard, oh, B.J. Fogg watches puppies. Well, that may or may not be the right solution for you. There is a systematic way to find the right things for you. And... And it's not as hard as you think, but just set about doing it. And part of it is just trying it. Does coloring very slowly work? Does watching puppy videos work? Does, you know, um, does trimming my bonsai tree reduce my stress and so on? But have a game plan so that you can figure out what that game plan is.
1: Well, okay, first of all, I wanna say everything you always say, what you're saying, it seems like it's pretty common sense, but people have to kind of be in touch with, have some self-awareness. I think the whole root of everything you're talking about is like ha- having enough self-awareness to know like what kind of person you are, what's what's possibly not going to work and what's going to work. And that's what we said in the beginning of this podcast is that like you don't, don't go listen to a Buddhist monk talk about meditation and think that meditation is going to be the panacea for your problems, right? Because you heard someone else do it. Yeah. If you know... That you're not that person. So, like, uh, you know, and for me, like, people are always saying to me on this podcast or wherever, like, "Oh, I, I meditate every day to, to, to keep me focused and calm." And I, I always say, well, "I get, i it doesn't work for me." I that yoga. I'm such a type A. People are like, "Oh, you even need it more. You need it more." And I'm like, "Actually, I, I, I don't. I've tried it um, seventy thousand times. Um, doesn't work for me." But, um, my, my point of even bringing that up is for people who don't even know where to start, what you basically are telling people just to start,
0: right? Like just to kind of, I would make a list. So if I could, like a
1: systematic plan, how do you make a systematic plan? So
0: the steps are mapped out in tiny habits. I'll give you a really brief version. Just make a list in a moment when you're not stressed. Think, Wow if I'm super stressed and I could get myself to do any behavior, I could magically get myself to do any behavior. I call this magic wand. Uh, What would I have myself do? And don't just list one, list as many as you can. List 20 or 30. Oh, I would call my best friend from high school. I would tidy the kitchen counter. I, I mean, tidiness does reduce it. I would boom, 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 and list as many options as you can. Even if you think, there's no way I'm going to tidy the kitchen counter when I'm stressed. But if if somehow you were to do it and it didn't relieve stress. So list many, many options. And then there's a way to prioritize or sort the options that I call focus mapping. And I'll just give a summary. It's not the whole method, but it's like, what things could you actually get yourself to do? So of the 30 options, which ones would you really do? And then pick three or four and then try them. And so don't just guess on one like meditation. And I'm with you on that. There's just been too much, meditation is the answer for everything. And yes, meditation is great for lots of people. But in my experience, helping people create the habit of meditation, it's mostly just, they just get frustrated. It just highlights how busy their mind is. It does not reduce their stress. It does the opposite. So explore many, many options. And then get realistic and say, which one of these would I really do? And then try it. And if it works, keep going. If it doesn't, that's okay. It's not a failure. It just means, oh, try something else. And then, But have a game plan. Like I, even when writing Tiny Habits, there were times in writing the book where it's like, whoa, I need a break. And I found myself just naturally picking up my recorder and playing it. And my partner learned, oh, when BJ's playing the recorder in the middle of the day, During work hours, that means he's chilling and he's getting ready to go back to work. So that was natural nature. This is why in California, I live by a river. In Maui, I live by the ocean. Getting in the water, bam, for me, that's transformative. So, but not everyone can do that and that won't work for everybody. So find what works for you.
1: More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. So, Anybody who knows me knows that I love to wear my gym clothes as much as possible. But of course, there are those times when I have to look like an adult and wear nice work clothes. And that's why I'm happy to tell you I found M.M. Lafleur. I went on M.M. Lafleur's website and found some really nice clothes that are not just functional, but they're nice and comfortable. I got this black blazer that I can wear up and I can dress it down and these pants that had an adjustable hem. So if I'm wearing my running shoes one minute and I have to quickly change it to heels, I can wear the same pants. It's awesome. And I can machine wash the clothes, which is really helpful when you have two small kids who like come up to you with their grubby hands And they also have free shipping and returns. So what's better than that? For a very short time, you can get 15% off your first purchase by going to mmlafleur.com slash hustle and use that promo code hustle. So for 15% off your first order, visit mmlafleur. That's mmlafleur.com dot com slash hustle and use that code hustle for that 15 percent off your first purchase what do you do every day besides what you just said like what's your tiny habits that you do (laughs) besides (laughs) do you still do do two push-ups after you like more
0: yeah or more oh you know we all have so many many (sighs) habits let let me hit some of them might that might surprise people okay uh yeah first thing in the morning you know after you pee and do the bathroom stuff i <laughs> play the recorder i sit cross-legged on my couch in the dark because oh, mm. we got up this morning it's embarrassing we got like 4 30 and that's not like a virtue i'm not bragging i'm just saying why just because we want to get up it's like i don't know at
1: 4 30 are yeah. you like I, That's just one of your habits. Is that well, what you do? Well, yeah, a behavior? But there's no
0: alarm. It's just like I'm looking at the clock at about three fifty-eight. I'm like, uh, when's five o'clock coming so I can get up and go surfing? Yeah. Oh, I, it's the surfing.
1: Well, okay. Well, I don't there, know yeah. what
0: it is. My partner he wants to go do rowing, but anyhow, um, it's so I get up. He's a rower. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I get yeah. up, and he's in his seventies, and he loves it. Anyway, I get up. I just sit. How on old the are court, you? Uh, Fifty-seven. So we're, we're nineteen years apart. So you've I,
1: been talking about him a lot, by the
0: way. <laughs> he's a huge part of my life. I mean, we we yeah. we'll get back to my habits, but the interesting thing is now with couples being like together so much, my partner and I have been like together twenty three hours of the day for the last twenty five <laughs> years. So this is nothing new for us to be like always, almost always together. Really? So, yeah, and you know, you learn how to do that, and there are habits of how you make that work. Um, well,
1: you have habits for relate. I'm sure you have really good ways of developing good habits for relationships, for productivity, yeah. for weight loss. You should yeah. have a book on habits for each one. Like, you know how you guys have like, <laughs> you know, like habits for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Habit, it, well,
0: The whole series. Well, but that's what my tiny habits coaches are doing right now you know, tiny habits to reduce anxiety, tiny habits to endure lockdown. So they're taking the method and they're applying it to their areas of expertise, tiny habits to keep the kids entertained. And so there are 40 different sessions coming up just this week. And so, yeah, I have some experience, but it would be presumptuous of me to say I'm a relationship expert or a weight loss expert. And yes, I've had success in my own life, but there are other experts in the world who really know how to help lots of people and i don't want to just say here's what i've done so do what i did because i as a researcher as a scientist i know the limits that approach is very very limited you can't just take what worked for you and prescribe it for everybody but there is a method that i'm 100 confident in prescribing for everybody um but what the specific behaviors are for a relationship on lockdown i'm not going to claim to be the expert on that Um, well
1: i was I would imagine not even from your own pra- I mean yes you can you can you can obviously pull from your own practical experience yeah. but what I'm thinking is if you're talking to or dealing with over 50,000 as you said people yeah. you're like you've been you're you're like you basically have the behavioral lab in Stanford you're not exactly a slouch I would imagine with all those people's experience you would be able to like say okay yeah. from everything I've kind of like picked up on here are the five things that I've learned from making a good relationship, yeah. making, being more productive, you're, being more this, being more that. You're
0: right, I could, but I'm also very, very careful about being clear. This is what my area of expertise <laughs> truly is. And then not making claims around things that maybe I have some really strong personal experience in, but I don't really consider like I'm a world's expert on relationships. Because there are people who are that, and too often, uh, those type of people write blog posts and even books and they mislead people, okay? So I am not. I, I have to be very, very clear about what I know for sure. And then in my own personal life, if people come to me, so I'll give you some. So, so um, uh, one of my partner's grandkids is getting married and we gave them advice and I'm comfortable doing that. And it's one of the pieces of advice is, guess what? In your relationship, you've got to find who's doing what. It's not about how attractive you are or anything or how much fun you have or you laugh together. It really boils down to what do you have to do on a day-to-day basis to make a household work and manage finances and get on in the world. And for every single required task, somebody has to be happy to do that task. Mm -hmm. And so you really are looking, this is how we think about it, for complementarity. Um, So, the good fortune is my partner loves to cook, he's awesome at cleaning, he loves to do laundry, he loves to go grocery shopping, loves it. I don't do any of those things. But then on the flip side, when it comes to taxes and technology, and I do all of that. So one of the keys, and this this isn't about habits, but it's designing a successful, lasting relationship, and we tell people in our lives this, is you gotta figure out who's doing what. And you can't be fighting about who's taken out the trash. It's gotta be very, very clear. You can't have those fights. And so you gotta either find somebody who's your compliment, your, their yin and mm-hmm. yang, or yeah, you, can, you gotta yeah. negotiate and be very happy with that. Yeah, I'm the trash person, or I'm the tax person, or what have you. And when you have that, then the day-to-day of life goes really pretty well. So he makes me breakfast mm-hmm. every morning. Oh, he cleans up. He won't even really let me in the kitchen. Um, but then there's a whole bunch of things that I do that help the household move forward. So that works out pretty well. And I just, and I'll say one thing and stop. And then, so as we're explaining to his granddaughter and her fiance, it's like, man, I wish somebody would have told me in my twenties, that this is what you're looking for. You're not looking for the most attractive person or the one that makes you laugh the most. Yeah, that's nice. You got to be able to live day to day, minute to minute in harmony yeah. and so you're looking for a, a complementary person in that regard i totally
1: i agree with that however why yeah. is it that again It's so been one of those things where pe- you i kind of feel people know that in theory but yeah. then in real life they don't ever they don't do that
0: movies magazines there's so much again <laughs> so much conventional wisdom that sets people up yeah yeah and, and that's why I, I just look back and say, why didn't anybody tell me this in my twenties? That this absolutely. is what you looking for. Yeah.
1: No, I agree with you. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You're tell- <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, I was saying to you earlier that like the reason why I brought your, uh, brought him up what's his name anyway, I, I keep Denny. on saying your, Denny, Denny, I thought it was Denny is that you've, you've brought him up and everything I've seen and, and the both Ted talks, I've watched the book. Uh, a couple other interviews, a couple other podcasts, you always mention, it's very it's subtle, but he always comes up. So I, I can tell by just that, you obviously have a very uh, nice relationship and a very complimentary relationship yeah. because you he's obviously very much in your life. Yeah, I just well, noticed I, that.
0: I have a ton of respect for him. We, in some ways, <laughs> on paper, would never be a match. He's 19 years older than I am. He finished high school and that's it. I have three or four graduate degrees. I mean, it's this. I mean, it just. I've traveled. I mean, I speak three <laughs> languages. He speaks one. Um, I mean, there's just so many differences like that. But I've come wow. to admire different ways of being smart and different ways of being intelligent. Yeah, I'm book smart. I'm really good on tests. I'm good academically, but I'm really stupid in some ways that he's brilliant in. He right. is in the <laughs> other master bedroom right now, wallpapering. <laughs> <laughs> and he's good at it and he can just kind of do anything so it's helped me respect different kinds of intelligences that academics typically wouldn't i mean and it's really helped me understand and um, value different kinds of people mm-hmm. so they may not speak standard american english or even know how to spell but i'm not going to discount them as not an intelligent person because right they may have gifts musical gifts gifts of crafts or art that are way beyond what i could ever do and so i've come to understand that my kind of gift yes it gets celebrated and yes you get degrees and awards for it but it's very limited (laughs) and it's really overvalued (laughs) to be honest and the kinds of gifts my partner has uh, you don't get awards or degrees for but they're crazy valuable and and (laughs) i really respect that
1: that's really nice. I mean you're right' There's people who are very I, I know people who are academically really smart, but they are so they're so stupid in life like emotionally street smart and it's usually the people who are the most wise tech, its usually are people who are not necessarily book smart but have experience and had to like develop it other ways you know
0: Well um, and, and you know it's been a learning experience but um, <laughs> let's see habits in our relationships well, one is that might surprise people. Um, is we set up every week, he does most of the work, sometimes I'll do it, but he sets up what we call super fridge. And super fridge is a once a week, cut up the celery, put it in a glass container, cut up the onions, put in a glass container, steam the quinoa, get it ready. So during the week, uh, like usually I prepare my own lunch, I can go and just open the fridge and anything in there is ready to go, I'm ready to fix something, or he can fix something really easily for dinner, So we're designing our environment, in this case, the fridge environment, to make eating on our game plan really, really easy to do. So that's one of the habits that we have. And it's kind of awesome. In fact, I included it in the book. It was a really weird thing to include, but um, my editors heard me talking about it, like, oh, that's got to go in the book. And it's like, well, it doesn't really fit. And they'll like, find a place for it. So I did. And it's just the idea of, Design your environment to make good behaviors easy to do. And oh, by the way, the fridge is bullseye for helping you eat on your game plan. So design the right, fridge, so it everything in there you can eat, and it's easy to do it. And there's no willpower or discipline to resist anything in the fridge or the freezer. So, and together we evolve that. Uh, we had different ways of doing super fridge and i had one way he had a different way and we figured it out we went with this way um <laughs> <laughs> his domain. but it worked yeah.
1: it's called and also food prep i mean yeah you're like basically creating an environment where you're not yeah. going to trigger that that would keep, make you fail that you would otherwise fail at basically another thing
0: i would encourage people to do and i don't know again i haven't taught thousands of people to do this but Aspire to this. In your closest relationship, have a way that you can explore new habits and new ways of being without your partner saying, oh, you're going through a phase, oh, you tried that before, this never works. Support each other in exploring and developing your lives. And if you can, do it together. And if you can't do it together at least don't get sabotaged by the other person i'll give a a quick example two years ago oh how far shall i start two years ago so so uh, our home when i was
1: 18 yeah our yeah. home in california
0: is up in um the wine country and we were not wine drinkers till we moved there 20 years ago and then i was like oh it's wine country so we uh at first we couldn't drink wine at all. We developed taste for it, and then it became drinking wine was pretty much a daily practice for us. It wasn't like we were alcoholics or we were losing our livelihoods over it, but there was a point two years ago where I was like, you know what, I think I'm done with this. It's over with So we would sit on our patio in California and every evening just to chill. And there was one night, I, I didn't have wine, I just had sparkling water. And he's like, whoa, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm not drinking tonight. He's like, okay. The next night, same thing. I just have water. And he's like, whoa, what's going on? You're not like going back to Mormonism on me, are you? Because <laughs> we both grew up Mormon.
1: <laughs> oh, he also grew up Mormon? Yeah. I knew you did.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I was like, no, no, I just, I just, I'm just not going to drink for a while. I'm, I just don't want to. And I didn't put any pressure on him, but he didn't, other than that remark, he he said, fine. Well, two weeks later, he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to join you. I said, awesome, if you want to, that's great. So from then on, we stopped drinking entirely. There's really no temptation to drink. There's no. It was easier than I thought. The benefits were way bigger than I thought. But my point is he supported me and he did not sabotage me. And at a certain Mm -hmm. point he joined in, but I didn't pressure or nag him. So that was a pretty big shift. Um, And then last week we were watching a show about being purely plant-based. So we've been vegetarians plus fish for... 15 or 20 years. We watched the show and I was pretty convinced. And one of my uh, academic colleagues was on the show. So I thought, okay, I really admire this guy. Which show? Which show was it? I forgot. It was David Katz, the the academic colleague. I forgot the name of the show. I think David's very, very, very smart when it comes to nutrition. And I didn't even. I know. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's from Yale. Mm -hmm. He's great. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even say much to my partner. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Well, guess what happened immediately? We stopped fish, we stopped all plant products. He started cooking just vegetables. Now, and I was like, awesome. I, I, you know, even eggs would have in the morning that became all like mushrooms and vegetables and all that. So my point there is to- You're
1: a vegan now?
0: Now we're gonna try it and we might go back, but the point is to be able to evolve together. And if one person doesn't want to allow the other person to explore and expand, and that's, I think that's been one secret of our relationship: is that supporting each other in, um, in exploring and becoming a, you know, figuring out new things in your life that you would like to do. Like, if he wants to quilt, awesome. Buy quilting frames, set up a quilting <laughs> thing, go for it. If I want to play the recorder every morning, he's going to endure it, and he's okay with that.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. So, those, that's but what those are great. good points. Yeah. And also, it sounds like you're not like shoving something down someone's like throat. Like you, I'm doing this. You have to do it. Like you lead, yeah. I, you lead by example. Yeah. You lead by example. Again, this
0: is not my academic work. And I'm sure somebody knows this who studied it scientifically, but in my experience, it doesn't work. Nagging doesn't work. The, now, when it came to coronavirus, yes, I was a little ahead of, ahead of him in understanding Hand washing and social distancing. So there's probably a week there where I was like, mm. wash your hands. Oh, you touch this, where I really felt unusual, like oh, I mean, that's such a nag. I never do this. Right. But it was it was just vital. So in that case, and then now we're both on the same page with this. Um, but there's a week there where it was kind of naggy and I didn't like it. But it was like, Well, what am I gonna do? He's mm-hmm. he's at risk and i'm at risk but he especially is so I'm, I'm gonna do it so but in most cases don't nag yeah doesn't work
1: well, yeah <laughs> you're telling me uh i know um but that's more trial and error so then let me connect so let's talk about the coronavirus for a second here because yeah. you just brought it up again now, what do you what do you make of this whole thing? Because I know you have a lot of colleagues who are probably much more in the know than, mm. you know, I am or what even the media talks about. And would you say that um, we were just too, as a, as a whole? Do, would you believe in the whole social distancing? Do you think it's over? Some people are like, oh, yeah, they're 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 blowing up to be bigger than it is. Or some are saying, no, it's way worse than it is. What yeah. is your opinion?
0: My amateur opinion. So I'm not a scientist on this. Uh, No, I know, but. (laughs) We must take this really seriously, really seriously. Um, And they effectively shut down Hawaii today. So if you arrive in Hawaii today, you have to be quarantined for 14 days, whether you're a resident or a tourist. And when they announced that, I was counting down the days to that. I could not wait. And I woke up this morning and thought, okay, now we're contained and we'll deal with Mm -hmm. what's here. Um, And it's gonna, they they shut down the Grand Wailea Maui is the number one destination. The Grand Wailea is the number one hotel that people love. They shut it down. Yeah. It's going to hurt lots of people. But what's the alternative? Oh. Just even worse. So that's my view. It's like, yeah, this is really painful. But the faster people take it seriously, the faster we'll get through it and get back to something better. That's my view. And so we're taking it really seriously. And we're social distancing. In fact, one of our friends walked up to our this morning and we waved him back. We're like, no. And he probably was, he's not taking it as seriously as we are. And he was probably like, whoa. But right. yeah, so th- we're, that that's what we're doing. And just, yeah, just what we have to, we, I think we have to do it.
1: Well, um, how? Yeah you've been you've been noticing about this whole toilet paper frenzy right people are like be- people's behavior yeah. has been i mean i feel like maybe it's it's kind of like tempered a little mm-hmm. but as a behavior you're a behavioral scientist why do you think people um it's out of panic and fear yeah. right yeah. that people yeah. are like are buying all the toilet paper and like and hand sanitizer and these stores these the shelves are obviously, as you know, yeah. completely empty. Yeah. And I have to stand an hour in line to go inside a grocery store where there's literally no bread or no eggs for a
0: week.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, what? But where does that like? Is it just, is it just human nature that people yeah, do I, that? I
0: think so. I mean, fear is a motivator, it will get you to do hard things and it'll get you to do unusual things like take a bunch of toilet paper, or hoard hand sanitizer, or and it's especially when you are responsible for somebody else like a mother for a baby or a family. Yeah. Fear is a very effective motivator, very very effective. If it's just you alone, there are people that say, "Ah, oh, it's just, whatever," you know, but the f- fear in my sense of how it works is if you are responsible for another human being, especially a baby mm-hmm. or someone you love a lot, then you're going to do things, even extraordinary things to protect that person. And I think that's what was driving that mostly. It's like, oh, I have my family. I have to be prepared for my family. I don't think people are hoarding, you know, yes, probably individuals living alone were hoarding it, but I, I, I would wager if you measured who was, you know, buying all the hand sanitizer and toilet paper in panic mode. It was probably people who were responsible for others, and they were driven by that sense of duty or obligation.
1: I figured also it was people who it felt it, it gave them a sense of control yeah. when the whole world was kind of like falling apart. Yeah. People felt like if they were that, ga- it's like when people have an eating disorder. Same thing, right? Like they can control one element. Yeah. That's what they're going to control a lot of the times, right? Like the food intake or the amount of toilet paper I can I can take from off of, of a shelf or feel like that yeah. type of thing is to, is well, taken care of. I,
0: I yes, we have human nature and there are vulnerabilities in human nature like fear. But we also I want to put some of the blame on our national leaders who did not were not clear about here's the situation, mm-hmm. here's what to do to prepare, here's what you don't need to do. So right. in that vacuum, people just grasp for straws. So I think. Some of the blame is clearly at the national leadership level.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I'm sorry, I also interrupted you because I was talking about your partner, but your own personal daily habits. What do you do daily besides the, besides, why, why do you wake up, you go, to, you, play, you go surfing, Yeah, you play a recording recorder. Yeah, I mean,
0: let me give a rundown of morning habits. I do think morning habits are the most important. So I get mm-hmm. up, my feet hit the floor, and I say, it's going to be a great day.
1: Yes, I do the Maui I, the habit. The Maui those habit. Those seven words.
0: <laughs> and it's funny because I look out and I can, see, if the moon's out, I can actually see the moon on the water and I say, it's going to be a great day. And I'm kind of laughing because like, oh, that's the Maui habit. I've taught thousands of people. Um, then once I'm done. How
1: long uh, have you done that for? That uh, How long have you done that Maui habit for?
0: Six years, six or seven years, probably. Oh, yeah. wow, it It really works. And I know it sounds like woo-woo to some people, but try it. Then um, the next thing is I sit cross-legged on the couch and it's in the dark uh, usually and I play my recorder and that for me is a kind of meditation and I play a tenor recorder so it has a pitch that's very much like a man's voice so it's like hmm or hmm and I'll just play long tones and then maybe I'll move into some songs or I'll tell Alexa to play James Taylor and I'll play along with James Taylor so I'll play anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes whatever strikes me. I play the recorder. Oh, I didn't say, I take a big drink of water before all of this with um, okay. with some electrolytes. I delay my coffee because one of my uh, sleep expert friends, um, Michael Bruce advised me and said, hey, if you can delay coffee, it's better for you. So I delay the coffee for an hour or so.
1: He's one of my good friends too, yeah. by the
0: way. Okay, so I th- yes. I really respect and admire him and he gave me that advice. Very like, good. Yeah, I can do that because I know how to create <laughs> habits. I know how to delay the coffee, so I did. And then yeah. my partner um, comes out and we'll like read news on iPads and talk and stuff. And then I get ready to go surfing and I have a, a way of putting everything in this little plastic carry all. And then I walk out and get my Honda Element and I go surf. On the way to the waves I'm shaving, so that's when I shave. Is there a very specific moment? In fact, when I pass the Grand Wailea, that's the moment when I start to shave uh, because I hate shaving. And if I put shave here at home, sometimes I won't do it. So while I'm driving and shaving, and then that allows me to put on sunscreen if I need it that morning for uh, surfing. Yeah. So it motivates me to shave. So I mm-hmm. go on the surf for a while, and then on the way home, I called Denny, and I said, I'm coming home. He starts making breakfast. Then we have breakfast together, and then, boom, my work day begins.
1: And what time is that? What time do you start your work day?
0: Mm, well, this morning it was 6 a.m., but <laughs> well, that was the meeting with the Stanford medicine people. That, that's, that was unusual. I, went, uh, I would say about 8.30 8. 30 or 9, I'm seriously into work mode. So then I come in, and there's a process that I do uh, of going through a bunch of emails, and then I prioritize so i kind of clear the decks i prioritize and yeah there's a lot of emails i need to respond to but i just kind of get clear on that because i have to see the incoming emails and demands to know what before i prioritize so i have to see what right what's on deck prioritize and then bam just start knocking it off
1: do you have a time when you stop work altogether no matter if you're in hawaii if you're in if you're up here in california what time do you finish
0: um It would probably be in Hawaii, it's earlier. I mean, it's nice because it's five o'clock here and then it'll be eight o'clock in California and 11 in New York. Nobody expects me to be responding. Um, It's usually around five. If I'm in California, it might be 6.30. And at that point, I then go out to the ocean and swim. I'll get in the ocean again. I'll go in and just hang out on the beach and I almost always get in the water because that revives me. And at a point my partner starts cooking dinner and then maybe I'll call somebody or text somebody. I'll do some social connecting with friends and family. Um, and then we just, I don't go back to work. Once I stop work, I don't check email. I mean, I'm, I'm done. And so I, I, I think that's really helpful. It's just like when, when I, my partner has learned to say, are you done with, he's learned to not say, are you done with work? It's like, Denny, I'm never done. A researcher, (laughs) innovator person's work is never done. What you should say is, are you ready to stop? Yeah. And so when I stop and you know, sometimes we'll go to the beach together. And then at that point, it's not professional work. It'll be more, you know, write thank you notes or play the flute some more or whatever. So then it's then and I don't feel like this nagging sense of I should be doing work because I just have checked out of it. Until the next morning when I get back to it, yeah. So,
1: do you think a more a, a night routine is important as well, or not as important as a
0: morning? Routine? Morning is more important, but a good night okay. routine matters as well. And, um, but but I think I mean part of having a great morning is doing the right things mm-hmm. at night. And so right. we go to bed pretty early. It's embarrassing um, how early. Let's- well, there's this thing, fortunately in Maui, like eight o'clock is called Maui midnight. So the culture here is you go to bed early. Once it gets dark here, there's nothing to do. So you go to bed so you can get up early and play.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. At 4.30 in the morning, like you do. Well, yes. so, so Did you go to bed at eight o'clock?
0: Sometimes 7.30, sometimes 7.15. That's embarrassing. <laughs> that is just embarrassing. But wow. it's sort of like, okay, it's dark. We could just watch stupid TV. And we do watch a little, we like the voice. We like the cooking shows. He loves cooking. And so we'll watch some very lightweight TV because we laugh together. So it's not like we're right. zoning out. We're we're laughing, we're talking, we'll stop, we'll replay things like, what do you... And so it's a time for us to interact around whatever yeah, right. lightweight things going on on TV. But then at some point, one of us says, let's go to bed. And it can be pretty early. And usually it's like, man, are we really going to go to bed this early? Yeah, don't tell anybody we're going to bed this early. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's early, but 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 you're a day
1: person, obviously. Yeah.
0: I didn't used to. I I would be very surprised years ago if I said, oh, you're going to be happy to get up at 4.30 or 5, and it would be effortless. Yeah. So things change absolutely
1: i'm gonna I, I will wrap it up i want to ask you a couple more things and then i'll let you go but because I, I have a whole. don't worry i want to know what of all your experience what is the most common thing that people wanted to either a behavior that they wanted to either uh obtain or lose both yeah
0: well i've actually done a variety of research in my stanford lab on this and it turns out for different types of people it's very very different parents the number one thing that pops in at least self-report kind of research with parents is, I want to help prepare my child to succeed in the real world. And that's better than, I want to be a good parent. Yes, they want to be a good parent, but when it's phrased of, I want to help my child succeed in the real world, they, of course, parents want that. Um, But what we found is the actual phrasing of that matters. Many, many people want to lose weight but they express it as get fit or eat better, or da da da. And then I think if you push on that further, and we didn't do it in the research, I think it's not actually what shows up on the scale. And this is part of what I try to get across in Tiny Habits and elsewhere. It's like, is it really about what the scale shows or is it something else? Is it more energy? If so, design to have more energy. If it's look better to your friends, then design for that. And so just don't assume that weight loss is the thing. Look at that harder and see what you really want. Almost everybody wants to be financially secure. Okay, mm-hmm. so I want to be financially secure or advance their career, that's, that's widespread. Um, and then you have people who have uh, eating or substance issues that they want to stop or decrease. Um, so I would consider those are four of the, the big areas that apply to lots of people.
1: But you seem to be dealing with a lot of companies and going into corporations like you did with Weight Watchers. Is there usually like one through line that you see a lot that companies are trying to improve upon
0: or? Um, Yeah, it depends on the company. So with financial companies, the good ones, and I only work with companies that I think are doing good things in the world. So uh, I worked with two really good financial, very large organizations and what they both had in common, rightly, was to help their members slash customers have a $500 emergency fund. Yes, there's many, many, many things that people, maybe not many, 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 there are a variety of things that people should be doing to be financially secure, but what they rightfully understood was without that emergency fund of about $500, when something goes wrong, then it's a domino effect of so many other financial problems. So in both organizations, they then prioritize, let's help our members, or in other case, customers, let's help them create habits so they will have this emergency fund. And that's first and foremost. And I didn't do this research, somebody did. uh, I forgot the exact percentage, but it's a massive number of Americans do not have that. They don't have $400 Mm -hmm. to draw on if a kid gets sick or they blow a tire or whatever. So So that was, Uh, thematic within the financial services. Within employers, 10 years ago, it used to be about diabetes and helping people, uh, pre-diabetics not become become people with diabetes. And then that shifted Mm -hmm. five or six years ago to stress, anxiety, and mental health, or resilience. I'm using those all as synonyms. And what happened really quickly, and I think it happened first in Silicon Valley, and then I've just heard it from so many wellness. I work with a lot of wellness leaders. It's like, uh, ah, we have resilience. We want our employees to be resilient. We need, it's mental health. It's just people are stressed out, and that became far more important than what somebody weighed, or what they ate, or the cost of, somebody with diabetes as an employee, because that just swamped on everything else. And I think we're still there. Now with coronavirus even more. So within the employer population, um, that has emerged as just super, super important. Um, I'll stop there. So financial is huge. And then so much of our wellness programs get get administered through large employers. And that's was a thing that they were just asking for and asking for.
1: Right. Well, and um, also because you know, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who, will, who might be listening to this, uh, I think those are true, right? For companies like stress, uh, resilience, all the things. Would you t- how do you give them a pro? Is it the same behavior model that we find in your book that you, that you give people? Or how do you work with people like that?
0: Well, the good news is there is an answer, but it's a process. It's not just a single answer, like all employees must meditate. No, of course know, but so. that's well, we know that that's not, not but those are right. some of the answers they've been given yeah. it's like no not everybody's meditate and one or of, journal yeah journals journal. another one <laughs> there are powerful things like journaling and gratitude and so on but the processes <laughs> help employees find what works for them so again we're back to matching that's matching right. people with now I've long been an advocate of let's hey people create programs so employees can work from home well, bam, that finally Uh, happened, not because of me, but because of coronavirus. And I'm hoping that many, many people who are learning to work from home won't go back to the stressful commute or the mindless meetings that they would have to do if they were on site and that their lives will be improved because they work from home, they're not driving, they're not stressed out from all that time (laughs) on the road. And so I'm hoping that through this crisis, there will be habits like that, that emerge, that will be helpful and we'll hang on to those.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I've kept you on the phone for a long time, um, but I I can go on and on, but I have a whole other, don't, I'm not even going to get into it right now, but only if you promise to come back and I have a whole other litany of questions to to, to ask you, but where do people, okay, first of all, you can, your book is available everywhere right now, right? It's available, Tiny Habits,
0: Yes, and tiny it. So, yes, Um, if you can, might be impossible right now. Get it at your local bookstore if you can.
2: Mm. Yeah,
0: if you can. And then, yes, it's at Costco. Yay. And it's at airports. Uh, we're not going there either. Uh, and you can get online. <laughs> we're not habits.
1: going to Costco either these days, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> my neighbor. That's what he approached me <gasps> little and I to say. It's like, I'm going to oh. Costco. And it's like, no, no, stay away. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, Tiny Habits, it brings together so much of my work over the last 20 years in a way that I think is really approachable. And- What
1: took you so long to write this book, for God's sakes? It took, I mean, you've been- A
0: long time, as, yeah.
1: Your first TED Talk was eight years ago. No,
0: um, Well, it, well, I'll tell you the truth, the true answer. The true answer is because I felt I was innovating and discovering things so much I didn't want to turn off that faucet of innovation to spend Mm. the two to three years to write the book because it's like, Mm. oh, here's this, here's this, here's this, and I was busy with projects and with this. And in some ways it's kind of selfish um, because it's really intoxicating. Well, here's the next piece of the puzzle around human behavior. So I just felt like that kind of stuff was going so well that I didn't want to pause it for the two years. It really does take two years to write a book, but then, I had this dream that I talk about in the last chapter of the book that got me, created the motive, and the dream is this, and it's in the last chapter, I'll give it away. Um, So in the midst of doing the research and teaching and feeling like I was innovating a lot, I had a dream one night that I was in a plane and the plane was going to crash. And Denny was not with me in the dream, and I was 100% convinced I was going to die any moment, and the reaction to dying at any moment was not, oh, it's gonna be painful, or I'm gonna miss Denny, or what's gonna to happen to my little dog, Millie, it was regret, it was deep, deep regret for not sharing my work widely in, in, in a way like a book can share it, and I woke up from that, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad it's a dream, but I was like, oh my gosh, that was my reaction? regret for not putting this together in a way that a kid in Peru could use it or somebody who's trying to change eco behavior in China could use it. So in the morning I told Denny, I said, I had this dream and here was my reaction. And then it was about two weeks later, I mean, I'd been approached by agents and publishers and I was like, no, 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 timing's not right. But then this guy named Doug Abrams got a hold of me. Turns out to be exactly the right agent for me. I didn't know that until we met, and then it's like, boom, here it is. And so it just lined up, and then Doug has a great process, and we mapped out the book, and we wrote the proposal, and we set a schedule for the writing, and everything went exactly as planned. And, bam! So, so it was a dream. It was a dream, and a, just a recognition that really woke me up to: I've got to get this book. I've got to get my stuff out in the world, and so. Right. So I feel like a lot of this, well, what you find in Tiny Habits was, well, I grew up in Mormon culture. And as a Mormon, at least the way I was raised, was where much is given, much is expected. I know that's not unique to Mormons, but that was really, really, really drilled into me and that we're here on this planet to serve other people. And so that, I think that's why that was my response in the dream. And I really have felt over the years that this is... I, you know, I haven't discovered the behavior model and tiny habits and all these things because I'm so smart. I think these things were given to me, and I have a responsibility to share them. And that's what the dream was waking up me up to is like, you have not shared this, and you better get with it. And so that's so I was able to pause and set aside <laughs> innovation projects and research projects. And say, no, I know I got to focus on this. I, I, I this, I've got to do this. Um. <laughs> So that's what finally got me to do it.
1: Because I was surprised because, you know, your TED talk had like a million and a half views or something like that, big big time. And the other book came out, The Power of Habit, right? And the guy wasn't even a a scientist or had your pedigree. So I, I found that to be very curious. And I was curious when I was like, after I watched it, I was like, I really, and I really liked you. I was like, why hasn't he like done anything? I don't understand.
0: Yeah, well, you that's know? why. I mean, it was just that sense of I don't want to stop the innovation. I don't want to stop the learning and discovery until that happened and it was like, yep, you got to. Now, the good news is the learning and innovation discovery turned back on. So, so mm-hmm. it's not like I hit, not like a well that had run dry. It was a faucet <laughs> that I turned off and I turned it back on and it's, and so I really, really, and thank you for uh, inviting me to talk to you because it is a responsibility I have to help people understand that yes, you can change your behavior, it's easier than you think. There's a process for it and you do it by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And all that stuff you heard about behavior change, a lot of it you should just forget about. And anything that made you feel bad or guilty Forget about it. That's not how you really change your behavior in the long term.
1: And that's what I really what I loved about your book. And what I like about you is that it's very, it's, it's anybody can do it. It really is. Anybody has the ability to have a small, it's a small little win, small little yeah. changes. And, you know, it's as easy as doing two pushups after you pee or waking up by doing the Maui habit, which is saying today is going to be a great day, right? Yeah,
0: And these tiny things transform you. And maybe in the next, when we get back together, we'll talk about how that works and how I know that works. But what essentially happens (laughs) is, is even as you feel successful in these tiny things, your identity shifts, the way you think about yourself changes to be much more positive, the way you deal with challenges or opportunities in your life shifts. And it doesn't have to be massive changes that get you there, it's these tiny things as long as you feel successful at them, that then leads to all these other positive things. And that's what the subtitle's about: the small changes that change everything. It's the way you process the world, the way you feel emotions, the way you experience an emotion that I call shine. And you do that by just flossing one tooth, doing two push-ups, pouring a glass of water, not by running marathons or um, you know, taking you know, twenty thousand steps every day.
1: No, it's it's momentum, right? Once you start, you continue, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's no, momentum. That's a
0: big part of it. It's it's a change in your confident your ability to change, your confidence to change, and really important the shift in identity. That's something I saw in my mm. research pretty early, and I was a little surprised mm. by it. It's like people are changing their identity within five days because that's what the program was I launched in 2011. It was a five-day Tiny Habits program. And I had to look more carefully. I was like, yep, people are thinking about themselves differently. And then that leads to perceiving the world and yeah. uh, acting in the world differently With the, and has these much bigger ripple effects.
1: Is that why when you say the whole, you know, today's, when you, the Maui, habit you've named after your friend about stepping stepping on the floor and saying today is going to be a great day it it, does it does it change the synapses or neurons in your brain to be more positive
0: or what is it well i think i'll just i mean you i think you set an intention and or if you're feeling doubtful you at least you open the possibility Mm. that you will have a great day so yeah. it's just seven words, but I, um, some of my friends who are really into intentionality, that's sort of like, oh, you're setting an intention, it's just exactly right. Um, and, and that um, some of these things, uh, like the practice of celebration, the Maui habit, started as techniques, and then we can look back and explain why they work. And mm-hmm. that's totally a legitimate way to discover stuff. You don't have to do an experiment. In fact, it's really hard to do an experiment. The tiny habits method came out of hacking stuff. Mm. Uh, Like, let's hack the behavior, let's hack what the prompt is, let's hack emotions, and it worked. And then, you can explain why later it worked. It didn't start from reading theory Mm. and deriving a method, okay? So academics are not gonna like me for this. But Facebook, Twitter, Google, Instagram, mm-hmm. Zoom did not start as theories and then they they started as practical hands-on things and mm-hmm. then we can look at them and say why they worked. That's how tiny habits evolved as well. It was like, it was a, a set of techniques that worked. It did not get derived from theory. And so many people think, oh, we have to read all the theory and then we'll know how to do the techniques. That's like, let's read everything about plants in the world, and then we'll be great cooks. No, learn great cooking techniques, and you can explain those maybe conceptually, but you actually work with people who know the techniques that lead to great dishes. Mm-hmm. Don't start with theory and then try to derive a method from theory. I hope academics right. don't hate me for saying that, but that, that's that's <laughs> how you create things that really work. I mean, look at look at everything, you know, things that are really popular and people use did not get derived by reading theoretical papers.
1: Right. <laughs> but no, I, you're not offending me, just no, any academic that be. might be. Yeah,
0: some people will be.
1: Maybe David Katz would be upset or someone he
0: like yourself. would with me, probably. Though, I mean, oh. but nutrition and where you can actually measure physiology is kind of a different Absolutely. thing. Social science, social science is way harder than physical sciences. Social oh, sciences yeah. do not get the credit for that, but it's way harder than... Now chemistry or astrophysics or whatever because you're dealing with human beings and you're dealing with all these yeah. variables you can't fully control <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely you know, not
1: yeah. I mean that's why I mean that's why I love you because you're you said're very honest and you're real and I really loved having you on this podcast so thank you, thank you. for t- taking all this time out and talking to me and everybody and um I'm gonna I'm gonna harass you again though. I'm gonna tell I would you this happy is not
0: good a- to talk to you again. You have such great <laughs> okay. questions and you put me totally at ease. And I shared things I haven't shared before. So there you oh, go. I'm
1: so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. That's like a huge compliment for me. You have no idea. I'm so happy to hear that. I really am. I mean, I, I I loved your book, and I I I honestly wouldn't be saying that to you if it wasn't true. And I really do think that everybody can get something out of it, and it can really tweak and help people's uh habits and behaviors shift for the better, especially in a time like now, especially let me tell now. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Tell Denny I say hello. I Hopefully will. he's making you a, a dinner. great dinner. I maybe finish wallpapering
0: and is making <laughs> <lunch>. <laughs> Yes. everybody goes, I need a Denny that I get email saying I need a Denny.
1: Yeah. I do. I was going to say maybe you can come to LA after this whole quarantine thing is all you know over. Love I'd love it. Love I would love to meet Danny, Let me tell you <laughs> from everything I've heard, <laughs> he sounds amazing. I'll go tell him he uh, was featured in the show. <laughs> he definitely was. He was a star, actually. There we go. Uh, how, how do people find you if they um, want to know more about
0: uh, about two you? Websites: bjfog.com and tinyhabits.com. That's probably those are probably the easiest ways
1: and you also have these t- tiny coaches tiny habit yes. coaches oh, that can yeah. Help.
0: so yeah and people can certify <laughs> with me and train and become certified coaches well, the starting point there is still tinyhabits.com and so right. all those coaches are pff, just an amazing community and man they're stepping up to the plate right now i'm so proud of them yeah.
1: that's amazing that's a whole other podcast right there but um all right well
0: thank I you thank i think you. this is it
2: aloha aloha <laughs>